friends. Oh, wow. That's loud. Okay. Hi. That's my voice. Cool. So <laughs> this is one of my, well, that commercial is one of my favorite ad campaigns of all time. I mean, they're clever on a lot of levels. Witty, entertaining. I really love the girl who's like, right? We're in love. Totally. Yeah. I love her. <laughs> but there's one reason why uh, these ads really stand out to me. And here's why. I don't think a lot of us really like surprises. I mean, sure, we like the good ones. We like it when someone throws us a surprise party. That's nice, right? We like to watch those videos on Facebook where people get surprised with puppies for Christmas. Did anybody actually get a puppy for Christmas? Oh, I want to be you. I want one so bad. Oh, wait, we got like three. You guys are like, it's right here in this room, guys. Okay. Oh, he's so cute and fluffy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, now that we have all been thoroughly distracted by the beauty that is a little fluff ball. Oh gosh, I love it. Right, so we all, we love watching those videos where puppy, we get puppies for Christmas or a loved one comes home from the military. I always watch those videos like right in the morning when I haven't fully woken up and I just cry in my bed like every time. But we don't, we don't like the bad surprises, right? We certainly don't react well to them either. As much as we would like to say that we just roll with the punches, don't let anything phase us, we actually get really hostile toward anything that happens that wasn't planned. So our verse to passage tonight comes from James 4, 13 to 17, and it says this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So that's a lot to take in, so we're just going to break it down. So at the beginning of this passage, James is kind of telling us what we already know, right? That our lives are not like a Florida orange juice commercial, right? We don't know what's going to happen before it happens. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And this can be true on a small scale or on a larger scale. A small scale example might be one from the commercial. Your tires get blown out. You have to walk three miles to the nearest gas station. And that incident kind of defines your whole day, kind of puts like a gray cloud on that day. A big scale example and a bit happier of one would be something that happened to me over Christmas break. I had, wait, patience, children. Okay. I had plans, I had plans with my boyfriend to go back to our college town, see some friends, grab some coffee at a new coffee shop one of our professors just opened, and look at Christmas lights. What I didn't expect, if you hadn't figured it out already, was for him to propose at the end of it, and that changed my entire life. You guys reacted so much more strongly than I thought you would. Okay. I'm glad you guys are excited. Thanks. Um, but I think, I think a lot of what God, what God does works this way. It only takes a day or even a piece of a day to change our lives, right? 
There are a ton of examples of this in the Bible. One of my favorites being the story of David. If you don't know where this picture came from, I feel really sorry for you. <laughs> Veggie Tales is awesome. Right? So this is, this is my Dave from Dave and the Giant Pickle. Alright. So when we, when we meet David, focus in with me. I know I'm distracting you. Alright. When we meet David at the beginning of his story, there are a few things that we know about him right off the bat. One, he's the youngest son of Jesse. Jesse is a fairly wealthy man living in Bethlehem. Two, David is a shepherd. He spends his days hanging out in the fields with sheep. And three, because he's the youngest of Jesse's sons, he's expecting a small inheritance. So in those times, um, the bulk of whatever the father had went to the first son and then kind of trickle, trickled down through the rest of his male heirs. And David was the youngest of at least seven older brothers. So there wouldn't be that much left for him by the time we get to David. So he's probably, he's expecting that he's probably going to be out in the fields for his entire life. And he's okay with that. But God decides to change all that. God calls Samuel, a judge, to go to Bethlehem and meet Jesse and his sons because God has decided that one of them is going to be the new king of Israel. Saul, the current king, has been doing kind of a crappy job up to this point. So um, Samuel's looking for, looking for a replacement here. Samuel invites Jesse and his sons to participate in an animal sacrifice with him. But really, Samuel's looking at each of these sons, waiting for God to tell him which one will be the new king of Israel. But David's not even there at this point. David is still out in the fields with the sheep. He has no idea that this is happening. Samuel has each of David's brothers walk past him, and each one is like, nope, not him. Not him either. It kind of reminds me of Cinderella, you know, where, like, the ugly stepsisters are downstairs, and they're trying on the slipper, and it doesn't fit. So the prince is like, are there any other young maidens in the house? Right? So Jesse goes out to the field and gets David, because none of his older sis- older brothers are the right fit. Um And it's like this instantaneous, that's the one moment when David walks on the scene. Like Cinderella descends the staircase, the slipper fits, and Samuel anoints David king right on that spot. Can you imagine being David at this point? Like what must have been going through his head? Maybe he's thinking, there's no way I'm qualified for this. God asked the wrong person. Maybe he's thinking, okay, so I'm going to go live in a palace now and figure out how to be a king. That doesn't even happen until later. He actually goes right back out to the fields after this. But he can't deny, regardless of what was going on in David's head, you can't deny that this one moment has changed his life. Okay, now God hasn't called me to be the king of anything, thankfully. But he's still definitely done some things like this in my own life. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. Is that okay? Cool. I like verbal responses. That's nice. Okay. So my entire life, I wanted to be an actress. Growing up, I remember watching all these classic movie musicals, and I'd be like five dancing around the room and singing along. And it was really, it was really clear to me from a very young age that musical theater was what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I thought God was all in on that plan. So when it came to deciding on a college, fast forward to senior year here, 
I was looking at huge schools known for their music theater programs. I was going to get into the best school that would get me to Broadway. I looked at schools all over the country, Pennsylvania, California, New York. And there was one in particular that I set my sights on called Belmont University. It was right in the middle of Nashville, Tennessee. There were so many um, music theater actors who had gone straight from this program, straight to Broadway. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want. So to make myself good enough, good enough for this school, I did shows in Wichita to build up my resume. I was driving an hour one way. It's an hour from Eureka, where I grew up, to Wichita. So I was driving that twice every day for rehearsals and dance classes and voice lessons. My mom and I ate McDonald's every day for at least a month because it was the only place that was open by the time we were ready to grab food and head home. I still, to this day, can't eat McDonald's. Mm -mm. I worked on my audition day and night and drove 11 hours down to Tennessee to go through an all-day audition process. And I gave it everything I had. I left it all there. And I didn't get in. I probably should have put it together at that point that God was leading me in a different direction. Took me a little bit longer. I ended up going to Sterling College. Anybody know where that is? Got like one graduate over here. Woo. Yes. So it's like right, it's right in the middle of Kansas, right next to Hutchinson. It was my last choice because it's Kansas. And pretty much every, not that Kansas is bad. I love Kansas, right? But pretty much everyone in my family had gone to Sterling. You can take it back like five or six generations and you'll find my relatives as students. Um, but I liked the people and I got a scholarship for theater and for choir. So I went with it. Um, and about halfway through college there, at the end of my second year, a lot of things happened really quickly. My aunt passed away. My boyfriend broke up with me really suddenly over Skype. Yeah. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> and my boss, my boss at my summer job, which I hated, I was working at the deli, it was not good. Um, she threatened to fire me after I'd only been working there for a week. And this all happened within the span of a few days. And it just brought me to my knees. Um, I remember just sitting in my room, I felt like everything was crashing down, and I looked to God and I said, what do you want? What are you trying to do here? Because I have nothing now. I spent that night crying and praying and reading my Bible. And finally, I felt God tugging at me to apply to be a camp counselor at a church camp outside Kansas City. At around 10.30 that night, I turned in the application. I had a reply from the camp at 11.30 saying they wanted an interview. And I was working there, I think, like two or three days after that. So it was really fast turnaround. And that summer was one of the hardest of my life. I cannot, I cannot express that enough. It was just hard. But it was also the most rewarding. Like through every circumstance that I faced that summer, whether it was interactions with my campers, my co-counselors, or just my one-on-one -on -one time with God, God just continued to affirm in me that he wanted me to pursue ministry. And I had no idea what that would look like. I still don't really know what it's going to look like. I know I'm here. That's about as far as I've gotten. But I came back to school at the end of the summer, added a minor in youth ministry, started volunteering at a local church youth group, and the rest has led me to right now, where I'm standing in front of all of you, and it's not intimidating at all. 
<laughs> this was not even remotely what I had planned. If you would have told me a few years ago that I'd be doing youth ministry, I probably would have laughed in your face, thought you were crazy, and walked away. But I can say with confidence that this path, that the fact that I'm here right now, that is so much more rewarding, so much more fulfilling, joy-filling than anything I had planned for myself, even just a couple years ago. Let me be clear, though. I was not always a willing participant. There were so many times when I fought God. I argued with him. I told God that I knew myself better than he knew me and that my plans were the right ones, not his. And of course, he proved me wrong. But for so long, my heart was not open to the idea of trusting him. I was going through a devotional called Streams in the Desert a while back. And there's a quote in there that really caught my attention for two reasons. One, the wording in this devo is really old-fashioned and hard to understand, so it took me a solid chunk of time to figure out what it was actually saying. And two, I loved the imagery of the quote. It says this. Where did it go? It's there somewhere, maybe. No, it's not. Um, that's okay. So it says, Too low they build who build beneath the stars. I'll say that again. Too low they build who build beneath the stars. So I love the imagery of this quote because stars are one of my absolute favorite things. One of my favorite things to do, especially during the summer, is to just drive out in the middle of nowhere, look up at the sky, see all of those stars. To me, there is nothing more beautiful in all of creation. But as I was sitting and thinking about this quote, God really lit a light bulb in my brain. Because those stars are beautiful. But he thinks we are breathtaking. To him, there is nothing more amazing than you. Right? And if a God who created the entire universe, he knows everything that's there. And he thinks you are the greatest thing ever. Why wouldn't he plan the absolute best life that you could ever live? But we still have so much trouble trusting this. I mean, the people who build beneath the stars, a.k.a. us, we think that the sky is the limit, so we build our plans within those limitations. God doesn't. He made the sky. He doesn't have limits. So why wouldn't we just trust what he has? Just realizing that truth is incredible. Understanding how huge God is and how much he loves us. We're never going to be able to fully grasp what that means. We can get little tidbits as we walk through life, but we're never fully going to understand that. That's how big it is. And even when we do realize just a little bit the fact that he's got an awesome plan in place for us, it's still so hard to give our plans over to God in that moment. I shared with you tonight just one example of how God has taught me this, but it's something that he's still teaching me every day. I don't know where I'm going to be after this internship ends in May. I got four months to figure it out, right? I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm learning again that I have to trust God with it. I have lots more to learn. And I'm sure a lot of your parents, your teachers, your small group leaders, they'll tell you the same thing. We're all still figuring out 
how to let go and how to follow his leading. So what does it actually, what does it actually mean to say, if the Lord wills? I have a few quick things that I like to remember, just some verses that I like to turn to when I'm faced with making a decision and I'm trying to figure out if it's the decision God actually wants to me, wants me to make. And these are on your sheet. So the first is to understand that God has the plan. There's a verse, Psalm 139, verse 16, and it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You know the really cool thing about this verse? David wrote it. That shepherd boy turned king wrote this verse as he was looking back awestruck at what God had done with his life. God had his life so well planned out, in fact, that he even orchestrated David's lineage to lead to Jesus. David existed centuries and centuries before Jesus, but God orchestrated every generation to lead back to Bethlehem and back to Jesus. And he put that same level of work into creating you and into creating your future. The second is simply just to lean on him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So once you begin to understand with your head that God has the plan, you have to take that step of faith and you have to trust it. That head knowledge has to become heart knowledge. So think about this. When you come to a friend or a parent or just anyone that you might go to when you're just really struggling with something, you don't just know with your head that they're going to be there for you. It's not a calculation in this in your brain. Yes, this person has statistically been with me for this amount of time. It makes logical sense that I would go to this person. No. You trust them with your heart. It's an instinctive response. Something happens, you know. This is a person I need to talk to. This is someone I can go to. This is where I can feel safe. And God wants that kind of relationship with you. Do you realize that? He wants you to lean on him through all of the struggles of your life. He wants to be your first responder. And he's there the whole time waiting for that trust. But if you don't have that relationship with him, if you don't trust him as your Lord and as your Savior, none of this is going to help you. So if you need to take that step, talk to me, talk to Tim, talk to your small group leader. We would love, love, love to walk with you through that. The last thing is to seek the plan with your whole heart. A lot of us know Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. But I love what he says in the next two verses. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, me being God, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I really think God brought me to my knees that night two years ago to help me understand this one. My whole heart had to be bent to him. I had nothing left in that moment but to seek him with my whole heart. 
So I got into his word and I spoke with him in prayer and I spent time just sitting in this uncomfortable silence, crisscross applesauce on my bed, tears running down my face while I just waited and listened for his guidance. Guys, these steps are not an exact science. Chances are God is going to speak to you in a very different way than he speaks to me, than he speaks to the person next to you, than your parents. But he's there. And he wants to take you on this incredible journey that he has so lovingly planned for you. He just wants you to get on board with him. So here's the point. I'll wrap it up. Write your plans in pencil, not pen. And here's what I mean by this. God has given us all these talents, passions, and abilities. You may not even know what those are yet. But he's given them to you because he wants you to use them. He wants you to use them for his glory. He's given you a task that only you can complete. That task may be something that calls you to use those gifts in a way you haven't even thought of yet. But chase those passions and chase after a passion for God to equal that. And just allow yourself to be open to what doors God will open to you. He might call you to be David. He might call you out of the fields and into a palace. He might call you out of the palace and into the fields. He might call you somewhere in between. But guys, I'm telling you, if you just give it to him, just one day at a time, and you say, okay, I'm following your plan, it's going to be awesome. And I'm just so thankful that I have this job right now that gives me a position to see the ways that God is working in this church and in this ministry specifically. Every week, I get to see the ways that he's using you guys to impact each other, to impact your small group leaders, to impact me just in watching you. You guys are already being used for the kingdom. Don't let anyone tell you that you're not. You are the church today. That's what we tell you because it's true. And if you just give it to God and you say, your plans are better. You got me. (laughs) Use me for what you would have me do. Let's pray. Hey, Jesus, um, thank you for being here. Your word says that whenever two or more are gathered in your name, you are here. So we thank you so much for the presence of your spirit. Um, God, I pray that the words that came out of my mouth were not mine, that they were yours, and that you would use them to impact these kids as they go throughout their small group time, as they go throughout the next week and circle back to here, and even beyond that, God. You are so good. Thank you for each and every one of these students. Thank you for placing them here. I pray all this in your name. Amen.